В понедельник в больницу с отравлением неизвестным веществом Сергей Скрипаль, один из двух пострадавших в английском городе Солнце. Чем был отравлен Сергей Скрипаль и его дочь, если это вообще было? Тереза Мэй выдвинула Кремлю ультиматум. Россия не позволит разговаривать с собой на языке ультиматумом. An empty ritual and a full-on diplomatic confrontation, a fake election and a very real international crisis. Political theater in Moscow and an apparent political assassination attempt in the UK. Two stories competed for attention in recent weeks as the campaign in Russia lurched towards its conclusion and the British government accused Moscow of attempting to poison Sergei Skripal, a formal double agent who is now a UK citizen. What do they tell us about where Russia's headed, both at home and abroad, after March 18th? Hello from our broadcast headquarters in Prague, and welcome to the Power Vertical Podcast. My name is Brian Whitmore, author of the Power Vertical blog here at RFRL. Joining me on the Skype line from Moscow is co-host Mark Galliotti, a senior research fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague and author of the forthcoming book, Vody, Russia's Super Mafia. Welcome, Mark. Hi there. So, so Vladimir Putin visited Crimea to, pra- to praise what he called the real democracy that led to quote-unquote real democracy that led to Russia's forceful annexation of the peninsula four years ago this weekend. And this weekend's election, or rather what the Kremlin insists on calling an election, will not so coincidentally take place on the fourth anniversary of that annexation. And as Putin was wrapping up his campaign, British authorities were announcing the expulsion of 23 Russian diplomats and the halting of high-level contacts in response to the poisoning of former Russian double agent Sergei Skripal in the English city of Salisbury. Mark, in many ways, the Skripal affair is not unlike things we've seen before. It shows the Kremlin's disregard for rules, norms, and international law, and it shows that the regime can get to its opponents no matter where they are. But the Skripal case is different in that it was carried out weeks before an election in Russia, and the Kremlin had to know this was going to provoke some kind of response in London. There seems to be both a foreign and domestic motivation for this. What are, what are your thoughts? You wrote about this this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced that there is a domestic motivation behind it. I mean, I think we, we have to distinguish between something that is specifically planned for, for that domestic constituency or also just simply that, like any uh, good or bad uh, political technologists, they realize that crises should never be wasted. Um, obviously, they are taking full advantage of the opportunity to present this as being a clear case of foreign, in this case, British Russophobia, the fact that the West is opposed to Russians in general, and you know, the inevitable effect of that is to speak to this narrative of of Russia in battle, which is basically the only card Putin still has to play. We saw this with everything from, yes, his his visit to Crimea to his previous State of the Federation address where Mm. he spent so much time salivating over the new missiles and in therefore conveying the sense that this was a dangerous world in which Russia needed these missiles. So, you know, he's presenting his case to the Russian people, not based on the fact that their quality of life has gone up because it hasn't, not based on the fact that there is sort of dramatic modernization of the economy because there isn't, but rather on a sense of, look, these are wartime conditions and you need a wartime leader and I'm own, the only one who can provide that. So there said, I, I mean, I, I, I don't see it likely that this was driven by it because the, the costs for such a relatively minor sort of 
PR operation are, are going to be great. And let's be perfectly honest. I mean, Pierre Canal could, could manufacture the, the claims of an international crisis and a, a campaign and conspiracy against Russia without needing such tedious things as facts to back it up. So I think we should, in a way, disaggregate the, 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 the two areas of, of Skripal but they and can't, the can you, I mean, can you say that they – I mean, they had to be aware this was going to have when they, when they planned this – and I think we could be pretty sur- sure they, they, they planned it. I don't think you have any doubts, judging from what I've, I've read all. from you. Um, they, they had to know when this was going to come to light, right? And they had to know there was going to be a British response. And they had to, maybe they didn't expect it to be as, as, as robust as it was. I know there's been some criticism, but I think it was more robust than I expected, to be quite honest. Um, and they, 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 they had to have gained this in the domestic well, arena. Yeah, I mean, let me just stick a pin in the question of the robustness of the British response and okay. we can come back to that. Um, but in terms of the timing, I mean, again, we are still only just learning the details of the case. There is this, the, the suggestion that, in fact, the nerve agent was carried within something that uh, the daughter had brought from Moscow, mm-hmm. maybe some gift or something like that, not realizing what was in it. In which case, the timing was probably operationally determined. I mean, in other words, it, it was whenever she happened to be going back to the UK, whenever she happened to see her father, mm-hmm. whenever they happened to open this gift or whatever. Um, but of course, they must have been aware of, of the likely political outcomes. And yes, they gamed it. And I think this is, this is one of the interesting points, is that not that they necessarily gamed it in the sense of, and this will give us a, a little PR boost just before the election, but rather they will undoubtedly have gamed the likely fallout from this. Mm-hmm. And they have clearly decided that for whatever reason, again, we, it's hard to know exactly why they targeted Skripal, but for whatever reason they wanted to carry out this operation, that the costs would not outweigh the advantages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is exactly about the gaming point. And, yeah, and this does seem to fit. I mean, you mentioned Putin's State of the Nation speech and salivating over his new missiles. Um, it, 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 and now this fits into the very narrative that Putin's trying to present. Um, so I'm, I'm not as, as quick to dismiss any domestic motivation here whatsoever, although I do think the, um, the, 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 the main motivation lie elsewhere. You take issue with the robustness of the British, and I mean more robust than I expected. I mean, we had Boris Johnson today talking about going after the money of rich Russians in London. I, I, I didn't expect things like this, and it made me think that this, I don't want, I, I'm reluctant to use the, the word game changer, but this, this does seem, something seems to have changed. Well, we shall see. Um, Everyone can come up with heightened rhetoric about what's to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact of the matter is that, yes, of course, there maybe there are things being done behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are going to be more things to follow. But to be honest, look, politically, it's harder to build up than it is to actually roll everything out at at once. Um, We shall see. Given that a lot of the further measures, like going after Russian money and so forth, will have some kind of cost to the UK or at least to people within the UK, whether it's in terms mm-hmm. of you know, less, less banking business and so forth. Um, and it, and in, as I said, in, in that case, we'll have to wait and see whether or not the, the gumption is mustered to do that. I felt this was actually stripped away of the rhetoric, a very, very conventional response. Mm, and this is okay. why I criticize it as, you know, I'm sure people will call it measured and proportionate at a time when, in my opinion, actually unmeasured and disproportionate responses were needed. Because mm. the point is, this, this was very much within, maybe at the high end of, but within the spectrum of 
conventional diplomatic responses to mm. such uh, a high profile and you um, thought it called for something more norms. Exactly, because this is exactly the kind of thing which the Russians precisely would game at. The thing about it is, if we're thinking about deterrence and deterrence theory, um, on the one hand, deterrence rests on there being the potential for a devastating response. I do not think that the expulsion of a bunch of diplomats... No, the expulsion, expulsion, no, but the other stuff is what I was thinking. Well, but the other stuff hasn't really materialized. Mm. We'll see. But the second element of of deterrence is that the, the, the other side must not be able to be certain that they can identify your red lines and therefore nibble away things mm-hmm. that, that are not within those or not over those those lines i think the the problem with this is that for so long the russians have rested on this assumption that that the west a lacks will but also b is predictable yeah, and I'm speaking of red lines, I was reading this morning, and I mentioned on today's Daily Vertical, this was, in fact, the first offensive use of a nerve agent in Europe since the Second World War. Um, and in many ways, this is, I mean, it illustrates the degree to which this was beyond the pale to a degree. Well, okay, you say that, but Litvinenko... Um, we've already had, quote-unquote, weapons of mass destruction, okay. or at least on, on, on some scale used, in the UK. Um Against and, a British citizen. And that was meant to be some kind of game changer. And yet, lo and behold, yes, there were, there, there were some responses, there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and a lot of talk, but in practice nothing happened. And it's clearly nothing that actually deterred Russia mm-hmm. from, from, from using high-profile things. I mean, one can also ask, I mean, beyond the fact that it sort of worries a lot of people and, 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 and also influences some people, actually, nerve agent compared with a gun, I mean, Mm. The, these are these are symbolism, all symbolism, symbolism, and a number of British first responders were infected. I mean, there, there's there, this this gets into coming dangerously close to an attack on British territory on British subjects. No, well, well, I mean, again, but we've already had that with mm. with Litvinenko. Mm. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I'm I'm not trying to say that this is either not either a sort of an, an absolute atrocity, but I suppose the point I'm getting at is that we have been here before. Mm-hmm. And clearly the, the toolbox of responses that was used then did not work mm-hmm. at doing its job of punishing and deterring Russia. Um, and my concern is that we essentially have, have sort of – we genuflate towards that memory. But in mm. policy terms, we have forgotten that. I've been noticing um, – f- oh, go ahead. The, the, the Foreign Office has put out a number of videos that actually go back to Litvinenko and show the, this, this pattern leading up to this. And you're, in a sense, Litvinenko was a game changer because, that, because Russia got away with it. And they continued to, 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 to get away with things afterwards. In, in a sense, it was a, it was a game changer, but not in the, the, the sense I was originally speaking. But do you remember the old um, Soviet joke that had a succession of Soviet leaders in a train that suddenly stops in the middle of Siberia? And you know, Stalin and Khrushchev and Brezhnev each had their own sort of different responses. Mm-hmm. And then the one is, I mean, Gorbachev, there's there different sort of final lines that were tacked on about Gorbachev. And one of them is Gorbachev jumps onto the top of the train, strikes a heroic pose and says, comrades, the train isn't moving. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, my my concern is that it's all very well to actually point out, hey, this fits into a pattern, but there has to be action. There mm-hmm. has to be consequence as a result. And as I said, look, I mean, I, I don't want to be too hard on, on the UK for a variety of reasons, apart from the color of my passport, um, <laughs> which one of them is this. What really would be a game changer 
is if actually there was meaningful support from British allies for this. Mm -hmm. Because let's say, I mean, the obvious sort of tax for, for Britain to take would be to go after oligarchs, go after Russian banks, Russian money, close the city of London to, 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 to Russia in that respect. As things stand, all that would happen is that Russia then just goes, you know, Russian money goes to, to Frankfurt, it goes to Paris, it goes to Rome. Um, and uh, maybe they are marginally less congenial or whatever, but the point is the impact is pretty negligible. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if allies were also closing their borders to Russian state-linked oligarchs, their financial systems to Russian state um, funds and so forth, then that would have a meaningful impact. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm not seeing. I mean, I'm seeing lots of thoughts and prayers. I'm seeing lots of European countries saying the right things, though some of them are not even doing that, but I'm not yet seeing any right. sign that there is going to be this support because this is not a British problem. This is a Western. Of course it's not. It's manifesting itself in Britain. And I, I, I was watching uh, Michael Carpenter, the former Deputy Assistant U.S. Secretary of Defense on Bloomberg yesterday, saying what we re really need now is full blocking sanctions, North Korea, Iran style sanctions. But that requires a degree of international consensus, which we don't appear to have. Uh, Britain and I mean, France, Germany and the United States have all expressed support for Britain and, and, and reiterated the, the, the claim that this that it's clear that this that this came from Moscow. But we were hearing yesterday from our reporter in Brussels that it's very unlikely that the EU is going to impose sanctions. And quite frankly, it's difficult for Britain to ask the EU to do anything right now in, the, in, in this in this Brexity environment we're in. I'm curious to see what happens when Britain takes this to NATO, because they, mm. uh, the reports are that Britain is planning to take this to NATO. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where this goes there. I certainly don't think we're going to go into an Article 5 situation, but maybe an Article 4 situation. Well, let's, no, but actually, even let, let's say Article 5, I mean, because the point is, all Article 5 does is it binds members to consider a, a suitable response. It doesn't say, you know, that's it. Although the, symboli and, and, and the symbolism is why I'm very skeptical we'll, we'll see anything close to that, is the symbolism of invoking Article 5, regardless of what it says in the Washington Treaty and the NATO Charter, the... the, the Article five is 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 kind of taken on a meaning of its own. Um, perhaps we'll see consultations, but it's uh, I'm curious. But go ahead. But the symbolism is precisely why it matters. Again, mm. I, I think this is this is this is the, the dis, what for me is the dispiriting thing is immediately seeing people defaulting down to lowest common denominators, thinking ah, but you know we're not quite sure if this measure would necessarily work. We don't think that our allies will buy this or whatever, and and and. As a result, you have an impoverishment of imagination. Mm -hmm. this, this, is, this is a time for extravagant imagination and extravagant symbolism. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, Article 5 is going to be incredibly eye-catching. Mm -hmm. and, and yes, you also know full well that the Russians are going to play this to all extent. I mean, in some ways, you know that the Russians are bothered by something based on the precise decibelage of Maria Zakharova, the foreign ministry yeah. spokeswoman and all around pit bull, um, you know, her, her, her statements about it. So, so you know, you know you're, you're going to get this and you're going to have to weather the inevitable storm because the, the Russians operate by Chicago rules. Mm -hmm. You cut them with a knife, they, they pull a gun. Well, okay. So in the short term, it becomes uncomfortable. But actually, if we look at other cases, and for me, the interesting one is, is Turkey. When the Turks shot down a Russian um, bomber, which is in, in, engaged in mm -hmm. operations in, in Syria. 
At first, we had the full spectrum of threats and hints. There was there were sanctions from Moscow. There were suggestions of actually even more sort of direct, direct, overt and covert action and so forth. Erdogan, who I have little time for as a human being or a politician, but nonetheless, one has to sort of acknowledge that, in some ways, being a being a little mini Putin himself. Um, Erdogan was able to stand his ground and basically stare down the Russians, and it was the Russians who folded. Now, I'm not saying I, – I, I don't want to come out as if I, I'm saying something kind of banal like, well, you know, force is the only thing the Russian – Johnny right. Russian <laughs> understands. But nonetheless, we have to see that there is a pattern. Where well, actually, this, the incident in Syria as well with the Russian mercenaries. Precisely, and because exactly they, they, they feel that they can't game America under Trump any more than the rest of us can, um, work out what the hell is, would, would, would happen next. Actually, the Russians took their lumps and they, mm. they, they didn't make fuss, despite the fact that there were nationalists in Russia grumbling about the weakness of the Kremlin's response. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let's turn to the, the, the Skripal himself. Why Skripal? Why now? Was this revenge for somebody who was seen as a traitor this was a this was a, a double agent who had been working for mi6 for 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 a long time was arrested in moscow exchanged in 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 a spy swap did he know something was he cooperating with british intelligence i mean i've heard reports to that effect what what are you hearing yeah i mean i think the, the trouble is one one's hearing hearing a bit bit a bit of everything right and the bottom line is we have no idea in a way all we're doing is looking at a whole variety of, of unlikely possibilities and just trying to tease out which mm. are the least unlikely. Well, spooks are your forte. What, uh, what, yeah, what... well, I mean, I think let's, let, let's see what, what we can probably discount. The idea that this was just simply revenge against a traitor doesn't really hold water. Yes, mm. Putin had said some sort of harsh things about him and, and others who were swapped. But at the same time, there has not been a, a campaign against um, double agents and, and, and so forth in the West. There has not been some kind of systematic attempt to, to go after them. And if anyone was going to go after them, Skripal would, would, would not probably be your first choice. Firstly, exactly because he was technically – he was pardoned. He was part of a swap. And if you go around killing people whom you, you, you swap uh, – It undermines future swaps. swaps yeah. in the future. Exactly. So, so I think there are very reasons why we can't just simply say it is simply because he was a traitor. Um, but on the other hand, given that this clearly has some kind of, you know, this, this, this has some kind of geopolitical cost attached, we still yet have to wait and see what they precisely are. how much. But nonetheless, I mean, I, I don't believe that this could have been a maverick operation. Mm-hmm. The idea, I mean, put aside the, the, the question of um, the nerve agent, because yes, people are saying, well, in the 1990s, um, Russian chemical stockpiles yeah. were poorly painted, which is true. But the point is, nerve agents actually lose their effectiveness. For this to have been a result of that, people would have had to have stolen all the various precursor chemicals, stored them under appropriate, probably laboratory conditions, and then had the expertise closer to the event to mix up with the right formula some some Novichok, quite possibly binary nerve agent. I mean, this is. This is not something that is easy to do, and, and various states could do it, but the point is it's hard to see how any states would, other than Russia would care about mm. Skripal. So, I mean, and even the idea of, of elements within the Russian state, look, this is not always a, a thoroughly coordinated state, but nonetheless, it is clear that people understand that there are limits. 
things like everybody the but attempt- Kadyrov, but yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but even then, but, you know, and after Kadyrov had Nemtsov killed, I mean that did genuinely cause a crisis within mm. Russia, and and a sort of potentially could have brought even Kadyrov down. Mm. I mean, I think actually that says just how powerful these informal guidelines right. are. Um, but, you so know, you're but saying before you kill a British subject on British soil, you got to have the big guy's approval. There's no way. Exactly. There's no way people thought they could get away with it. And frankly, there's no way that Moscow would, would be comfortable with having an international incident foisted onto it just because some people had a grudge against mm. Skripal. Okay, so, so we've, we we've, have to assume it's state. Right. Now, we, it has to be something to do with Skripal himself. Of course, yeah. Now, this is why I, I do wonder if there was a belief, which could well have been wrong, that Skripal was back in the game. That he was exactly he was working again with MI6 or other British intelligence, other intelligence agencies, or else, and I think this is this is a wrinkle worth considering, um, commercial intelligence agencies, which in the past the Russians didn't really think about, they didn't really care about, they thought them saw them as kind of one step above malcops. Um, but since Panama Papers and since obviously the Steele dossier, suddenly the Russians have become much more aware of this whole penumbra. Of the, and, and it may well be, and I, I mean, there have been suggestions that there might be a Skripal steel connection. I, I, I don't mm. know. So it could well be one of the many other agencies. Right. But if people thought that Skripal was, for example, acting as a fixer, putting in, in, in people in touch with people in Moscow or anything like that, Moscow could have thought that this was essentially his British handlers um, breaking the, the understandings, the panyatia. Mm. Um, around the spy swap. I and, mean, there's shades of Litvinenko there, too, who was cooperating exactly. with the Spanish investigation into Russian organized crime, among other things. Yeah, and, and, and we also know that one of Putin's particular neuralgic points is this idea that essentially the, the international rules are created by the West for the West's own interests, and they expect Russia to uh, follow them, and yet they themselves don't. Now, regardless of whether one buys that notion, and 85% I don't buy it, 15% I think he has a point. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it, it's clear that he thinks of the West as, as hypocrites, and he, that's something that, that angers him greatly. Mm-hmm. And so if there was that sense, not only is Skripal now once again sort of active, but also a sense that we have been conned, Mm-hmm. That might have been what t- tipped the balance and said, okay, not only are we going to kill him, but we're going to do so in what in, – in, in mafia terms, like you know, it, it's called cowboying, a hit that is so gratuitously overkill mm-hmm. as to be as much about a demonstration as about taking one person mm-hmm. out. Because this is you – know, the, the point of using something like a nerve agent, just like using polonium with Litvinenko, is exactly – it is about the theater of murder. Right. It is about – you have days of footage of guys in hazmat suits and concerns about collateral damage and, and everything else rather than just pushing someone under a bus when no one's quite sure what happened. Right. This, is, this is about a demonstrative killing. Well, before we turn to how this is playing with Moscow, which I want to use as a segue into our second section, let's talk about the theater of murder here, as you put it. I mean, because this was, I saw this also as a message to emigres uh, that we can get you wherever you are, so don't feel you're safe just because you're, you're you have another another passport and live elsewhere. Did you did you see that element in here as well? Oh, very much. I mean, again, one of the classic Russian tropes uh, we have seen under Putin is the fierce denial of any wrongdoing 
with a smirk, right? With a little, or is it? Um, and I was particularly t- sort of struck by the TV um, presenter, who was basically saying, "My, you know, Britain seems to be such a dangerous country these days. People on sort of in industrial quantities uh, <laughs> hanging themselves and, and everything up, being poisoned and such like." I mean, that was very, very clearly a sense that look, people die and we kill them. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so bear that in mind. So, yes, I mean, I think, again, it, 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 it's hard to know what was, as it were, a primary objective and what was just simply an additional right. benefit. But certainly, I mean, the very least is an additional benefit. There is now that sense that people should be worried. Just as after Litvinenko, Litvinenko's death very much sent a chill through the London grad set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of people who had been involved in anti-Putin politics, you know, whether it's providing money or just talking out against, speaking out against the regime, got very quiet right. after that. Now, let's turn to how this is the message to the Russians and more specifically, how this is you're in Moscow. How is this playing in Moscow? How how is it playing in the the so-called election? Well, I mean, in terms of I mean, it's very hard to say how it's playing in terms of the election, because this is I mean, I know we'll be talking more about this, but this is the election that isn't right. Um, You know, I mean, the, 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 the city is wallpapered in posters saying go vote. But it's clearly not what one might call a sort of a vigorous debate going on. (laughs) But in terms of how the um, actual event is playing, it is unpleasantly reminiscent of MH17 Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can't help but feel this is not just simply the natural instincts of of, of the state media trying to please the Kremlin, but probably something that actually has been imposed from top Mm -hmm. down in sort of a... Press spokesman Peskov's weekly meeting with with editors in which he sort of outlines the talking points for the coming week, because we have this absolute barrage of alternative theories. Right. Um, You know, uh, most of which are surreal to the point of insanity. The idea that, for example, this is a false flag operation carried out by the British in order to castigate Russia out of peak because Britain didn't get the rights to hold the World Cup. That was my, my particular favorite one. I, I, I know that most Brits, trust me, there are exceptions, are, are fairly fanatical about, about football. But nonetheless, I'm not sure if to the extent of basically spreading nerve agents <laughs> in a cathedral city. Uh, or obviously the notion that basically these sort of astonishingly skilled Ukrainians, sort of Spetsnaz ninja, carried out the attack again to attract attention to Russia. Um, which again implies not only does does Ukraine have some amazingly effective um, special forces, but also that they handily happen to also hold on to some Soviet-era chemical mm-hmm. weapons that no one knew about. Um, you know, and 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 so it goes. I mean, it was interesting actually that the that the TV program in which someone was outlining the Ukrainian um, theory thesis. I mean, even the people outlining it and the presenter could not keep a straight face. <laughs> yes. uh, there was actually something almost quite touchingly human. Mm. for a minute about propagandists. So I think this is it. We, you know, we are seeing the usual process of trying to sort of create a whole barrage of alternative explanations to do two things. Outside Russia, to provide those people, sadly also like uh, opposition Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn, um, who anyway are going to mistrust the sort of official line to provide them with kind of talking points to support their, their perspective. Which they're using. Yeah, of course. Um, but domestically, it is precisely to create this this sense of exactly uh, um, an orchestrated campaign against mm-hmm. against Russia. 
Um, and it's also interesting that, it, that it's Britain, because Britain has a, a strange and interesting place within the Russian geopolitical imaginary. Um, and I mean, and on one level, I, I find it quite charming that that Britain is on the one hand the kind of the land of, of, of politeness and Sherlock Holmes, but on the other hand, it's perfidious Albion. It's a very, very ruthless and pragmatic schema. The, you know, the, the American and it's, CIA and it's still imperialist. Is, is clumsy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The American CIA is clumsy, but 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 huge. Britain, you know, MI6 and so forth are much, much smaller, but much, much sneakier. No, mm. I said, I mean, you know, on one level, I, I, I rather like um, that. <laughs> I that, bet that you do. But on the other hand, I mean, it, is, it, it, it does play into that, that whole, whole narrative that in this respect, the Brits are the Americans' sneaky younger brother. Mm -hmm. And that's how I think it, it, it fits into well, how, in fact, how, how you're they're our sneaky it. older brother. <laughs> um, but uh, now, how is this playing on the street? Because we, the, the, I mean, I've been watching the media as well, and it's—I think you described it uh, perfectly there. How how is this is this resonating? How is it? You're talking to people. How does this play on the street? Well, I mean, you know, the street. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not really your sort of street. Talking, exactly. I'm I'm not cornering people in in you know in in, in the till line of the till in Perekrostov. But it's got to have come up. Brokers. You being a Brit in it, Moscow right now, this cannot have well, not except come up. The, the people, the, the people that I'm talking to are basically people who are within the political class. So, you know, broadly conceptualized. They they are academics. They're think tanky types. They're journalists. That that kind of thing. And they are. Also, this is Moscow. They are more on the liberal side of things. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I don't get the sense that Skripal the Skripal case is something that has mass resonance. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is something that precisely it's only certain sets are interested in. However, we can't we can't rule out the extent to which there is a certain sort of background noise factor. Mm. Um, you know, this is today's crisis. There was a different crisis yesterday. There will be a different crisis tomorrow. But on the other hand, it is all part of the way that the, the, the Russian state is trying to build up the sense of a crisis driven and dangerous world. Mm -hmm. So I think this is it. No one. I mean, I certainly haven't had someone, I don't know, hearing my hearing me, I don't know, talk English on the phone. Um, I mean, actually, I, I was I was it's interesting. I, I was actually giving some 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 comments to a journalist in English, on the bus at wow. one point, Brave talking man. about street, street balance and so forth. Well, I mean, in part, I was doing it just because that was the only time I could talk to this guy. And in part, I was doing this almost as a controlled experiment. I'm trying mm. to think, you know, am I going to get filthy looks? Is someone going to tap me on the shoulder and, and, and tell me how wrong I am or whatever? Didn't happen. I don't know mm. if I should be believed or disappointed. Mm. But this is, I mean, I, I don't think for most people, this is a specific thing of resonance. Mm. This is something that's happening a long way away. Right. But I do think it fits into this, this, this wider narrative that sort of people may not think about, but nonetheless does inform their sense of Russia in the world. Right. And, and whether or not this is the Kremlin's intention, it will be the, you know, part of the background noise as Russia goes through the motions of what it calls an election, and we're going to turn to that in a few moments. In a few moments, we'll continue our discussion and give you a primer on what you should be looking for during that event on Sunday that the Kremlin keeps insisting on calling an election. I'd like to remind you, you're listening to the Power Vertical Podcast. My name is Brian Whitmore, author of the Power Vertical blog here at RFURL. Joining me on the Skype line from Moscow is co-host Mark Eliotti, a senior research fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague and author of the forthcoming book, Vody, Russia's Super Mafia. I'd also like to remind you, you can subscribe to the Power Vertical Podcast on iTunes. You can read the Power Vertical blog and watch the Daily Vertical at RFURL.org. And you can follow us on the Twitter 
at Power Vertical. Агитационная кампания кандидатов на пост президента. Сегодня претенденты на высший пост в стране завершают свою предвыборную серию предвыборных дебатов на выборов, канале 18 марта. Ровно 400 избирательных участников. So, Марк, And one thing that struck me was how little discussion there was about this weekend's so-called election. It was sure it was mentioned in passing a couple times, but it was hardly a topic for discussion. It was almost as if there wasn't going to be an election in the largest country in the world this weekend, which I think is pretty appropriate because there isn't. Um, after overthrowing Nikita Khrushchev, Leonid Brezhnev, after all, was elected Secretary General of the Communist Party, the functional equivalent of today's Russian president, four times in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But when Kremlin watchers of those days, like us, examined the party congresses and the Central Committee meetings and Politburo meetings of those days, they knew they weren't covering elections or following elections or examining or analyzing elections. Instead, they were examining the liturgy and rites of a decaying ritual. They were looking at signs and for signs and signals where a moribund regime ruled by an ossifying elite was headed. Along these lines, I'll be looking for a few things on Sunday. Um, I'd like to hear what you're looking for. I'll, I'll be looking at whether or not the Kremlin does, in fact, reach its stated goal of 70-70. 70% turnout, 70% of the vote for Putin. I'll be looking at how flagrantly they will need to massage and falsify the results to reach those numbers. Um, and I'll be looking at how robust the opposition's response to any falsification should be if it, if it is so flagrant. And of course, I'll be looking at how robust the regime's response to the opposition is. What, what are you going to be looking for come Sunday? Well, let me just start by actually going back to that Soviet parallel that you raised. I mean, you know, clearly Brezhnev was not directly elected. He was elected from no, by, no. By, by the... No, yeah, I, I was, I was, I mean, but, we can no, go into no, the no, details. I mean, but. Uh, no, but I mean, but I think what was interesting is precisely that, that, you know, that there were elections. And although they were clearly not in, in the faintest way free and fair, um, not least by the fact that there would generally just be one candidate on the ballot paper and you just simply had a choice of whether to scratch that. Well, I'm speaking of the election of the general, the, secretary, the general secretary, which basically you had a party congress, which chose the central committee, which chose the Politburo, which chose the, uh, the, the general secretary. Um, and we watch these things for rituals and signs and signals. But go no, ahead. No, no, agree, but what I'm saying, I'm actually talking about the, the, the real elections. Okay. You know, there, there were actual elections. Yeah, where for all state posts, citizens, yeah actually sort of, you know, basically had, had ballot papers and so forth. And as I said, it was meaningless because there was no way that the Communist Party could lose or would lose. But nonetheless, a lot of effort and a lot of resource went into actually trying to ensure that there was a good turnout with everything from, again, busing people from factories. Free buffets. Yeah, exactly. So that there, that there was, you know, hard to find goods available on sale at <laughs> polling stations and so forth. And, and for me, this is the fascinating way in which these elections are increasingly coming to replicate Soviet ones, mm -hmm. in that it's not so much about who gets to run the country. It's about the elections as referenda mm -hmm. on an entrenched regime. And for legitimating purposes, they need to have a, a high turnout and they and they kind of therefore stuck in the, in, the, in the need to kind of actually try and get people out. And that is really the sort of the weapon they have. Now, in that context, I think you're absolutely right. The, the interesting thing will be turnout and vote and how far the political technologists of the regime are going to be willing to rig 
to get the right numbers because mm. it's it's an interesting sort of delicate balance. If you have to rig heavily to get what looks like a really good legitimating score, does that actually in practice invalidate the mm. legitimating advantage? Is it just better to accept uh, a 64-64 instead of a 70-70 mm-hmm. but with minimal rigging? Um, so, I mean, in a way, this will tell us about two things, I would say, about the sort of future. Firstly, just how worried they are. Um, you know, how far, because after all, it was precisely fairly blatant rigging that was one of the triggers for Balotnaya. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are, are, how, how concerned are they about that? But also, it'll say, tell us something about how far they are desperate just to kind of create the illusion of massive public support in the even in the absence of real mass public support, right. which will tell us something about the, the, their relationship with the masses. S- next point I would say, um, one of the interesting things going to be seeing is we, we tend to assume that it's, everything's going to run from Moscow. Um, what we've often seen in the past is actually that a fair amount of um, electoral rigging is self-propelled in the regions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as people just simply think that it'll do their careers great if they can come up with a 104% vote for Putin. Um, and again, I mean, that will tell us something about the degree of control and coordination of of the regions. If we see more of that, ironically enough, although it looks like everyone is queuing up to be loyal to Moscow, it'll also say something about the extent to which Moscow is not actually carefully able to coordinate mm-hmm what they do. So how, how much do, does it look as if we have regional interests competing to be seeming more loyal, um, but in fact actually messing the whole process up because usually they're very clumsy um, mm. in, in their ring. And the final point I think I would make, again, going back to this business about the, um, the nature of the opposition vote, um, this is the one area that we, I think is probably the most carefully choreographed of, of, of the lot. Mm-hmm. If we saw this in the past when they clearly, sort of, for example, felt that the communists needed to be brought down a peg or two. And they gave so they sort of second shunted, mm-hmm. exactly, shunted a bunch of votes straight across. Now, okay, Moscow is not Russia as a whole. Um, and although it's, it's mainly that, you know, pretty much every single bus stop, every single display has a, has a poster telling people to vote, just to vote. But when, you know, it's, it's sort of slogans like our motherland, our president, our choice, um, mm. you, know, you know who they have in mind. But in terms of kind of campaign literature and campaign posting, very little. I, I've seen some for the Liberal Democrats, which literally just simply says LDPR Zhirinovsky. I've seen a, a couple of things for the communists, which are much, much more programmatic. It's not just vote for Grudinin, it's these are our, our main um, goals. Mm-hmm. And maybe because I happen to be currently staying in an apartment sort of quite close to the sort of university area, um, there's also been a, a leaflet pushed into the mailbox for Jablocka, the sort of liberal, the perennial Yablinsky, right. liberal sort of also rounds. Um, what I'm going to be interested to see is exactly how they, they, they manage the, 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 the votes between LDPR, i.e. dinosaurian ultranationalists, the communists, who are a kind of strange mix of Stalinist grannies and 30-something social democrats. Um, Led by a really former have, member of United Russia now in this. In this who in this who doesn't even, I mean, you know, <laughs> comrade millionaire. Without right. a <laughs> um, and Sobchak. Um, you who know, seems so doomed had, to 2%. Uh, 
who seems likely doomed to 2%, but again, I don't know how far that's actually a, a bit of gaming expectations. Aha, uh-huh. interesting. Um, whether then they're going to let her have some more percentile points if they think that she actually has mileage. You know, it might be that she's just intended an, as another one of these one campaign candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, but they might want to actually sort of give her, give her a certain degree of, of, of longevity. So again, I mean, I think it, it'll tell, it'll give us some clues about how they plan to manage the political structure, the, the, the political mm. sub, rather substructure, um, in the next up to six years. Now, one thing I'm also watching is the degree to which Navalny's attempt to organize a boycott has any traction at all. It doesn't appear to right now. And in conjunction with that, I'd like to, the vote totals in Moscow, which will be the most difficult place to falsify. Um, and I want to see to the extent to which they are losing the capital. Quite. I mean, I think... Uh... Yes, I mean the issue of of of, of Navalny's boycott. Um, you know, there, there is still certainly within sort of the realms of social media and so forth a certain amount of going down, going around. And and again, his his great advantage is that if the polls are, you know, the turnout levels are any lower than they were last time, he can claim some credit. Right, and they've been going Whether down not, consistently. Exactly. So. You know, <laughs> even even if he actually has nothing to do with it, it's actually quite 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 a clever. Um, strategy. Um, but again, just to talk about the sort of the Moscow factor, absolutely, this is this is going to be the hardest target for for the regime, both in terms of capacity to rig the election. And one of the things I'm planning on doing on Sunday is precisely wandering around some outskirts suburban polling stations rather than the central ones, which mm. tend to be much sort of closely watched. But also, in order to ensure the kind of the the quote unquote right um, final results. Knowing that Moscow and to a lesser extent St. Petersburg may and, and generally speaking the sort of more urban European Russia might be sort of harder targets, they're probably gonna to have to as it were, the, the regime would have to have built up a certain number of exploits. Because you must remember the results tend to kind of you know, will basically coming in in a, a rolling barrage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting. To, we might find a, a certain point as results are being announced where suddenly Putin is looking ridiculously strong because, in effect, they are banking votes mm-hmm. for when the Moscow right. results come in. Which is going to change it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm interested in looking at the Moscow and St. Petersburg results almost in isolation. You get a sense of of the feeling in the capitals. Now, turning to those other elections I was referring to earlier on the the Soviet era elections, I was referring to the you know the the election of the the so called election of the Secretary General, the election of the Central Committee. I was talking about how we looked as you know how Kremlinologists watched party congresses, and there you're looking for a whole different set of of signs and symbols and optics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another area where we're, we're, we're gonna, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in the optics of this all and what it tells us going forward. I mean, if you think back to the Duma elections in December 2011, the moment I truly understood that they might be in trouble was, I don't know if you, if you remember this, when Medvedev and Putin both came out to make statements for television together mm. and they both looked kind of devastated they looked vulnerable I mean, it was the first time i looked at at, at at them and they looked weak and vulnerable mm. um and i said wow that they didn't expect this they got taken by surprise um they don't know what to do and i think that was picked up by i mean it was certainly picked up by, by those of us watching from the outside i assume it was picked up inside of russia as well what kind of things are we going to be watching for to sense like how how confident the regime is going forward what what this election what this so-called election portends for the future in terms of the optical things 
Yeah, I mean, the optics are tricky, uh, in part because actually I think the Russians, you know, the Russian political technologists working for the Kremlin, I think have actually learned that lesson. I think, you know, the, the, the incident you're talking about is one that I think sort of was, was, was quite seminal for them as well. They got caught with their pants down. Precisely. And therefore, I, 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 I think they'll, they'll be looking for, to be wearing sort of um, Stratcom long johns <laughs> this time just in case. How do you no, think and there's and there's an image I will leave you all with. <laughs> um, but I, so I mean, I think in, in t- you know it's, it's going to be a little bit harder this time because they they they, they do learn lessons. Um, so in, instead, I mean, I think yes, what what we're going to be looking for is is first of all, any sign you know the optics are showing a, any signs of clear cleavages within the country. You know, I mean, they have to accept that Moscow is is, is kind of an aberration. Um, but, but more generally, again, I think looking at a lot of the rhetoric from not just government sp- spokespeople, but also the kind of commentators who clearly channel what the Kremlin's thinking, um, they've been very much emphasizing, and again, this is kind of surreally Soviet, um, very much emphasizing this kind of one people, one party kind of sense that all Russians are, are united across um, ethnic, territorial, class, and so forth divides. So they're, they're kind of setting this up for suggesting that there's actually going to be a certain degree of kind of commonality across. If that fails, I think, again, that's something that, that, that they, they're going to have to sort of be hurrying to, to explain. Second point is, um, you know, like it or not, the issue of succession is inevitably being being discussed. And we have no idea if, if it's going to be six months or six years um, before it happens, probably something in between. Um, but nonetheless, I think people will be looking to see as and when Putin makes his victory addresses. Um, we can assume Medvedev is going to be there. If Medvedev is not there, people are going to assume that actually it means his time as, as prime minister is coming to an end. The funny thing is, just like, again, going back to the Soviet parallel, we had to engage in Kremlinology because the Kremlin didn't tell us what was going on behind um, closed doors. But so too did lots and lots of Soviets, including Soviet officials, because they weren't privy either. So they would also be looking at the lineup on Lenin's mausoleum at parades. Well, likewise, I think there's going to be a lot of Soviet... Uh, Freudian slip there, Russian um, officials and others who are going to be watching who is close to Putin. Does Putin come out with Medvedev? Mm-hmm. Um, if not, who else does, does he, he seem to be favoring? They're going to be looking for clues about the yeah. succession. And this is something that's going to be we're going to have until the day that Putin stands down. Right. Or, or, or if we ever do indeed see that day, because I guess the last thing I wanted to discuss is going forward after this elect, this, 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 this event is over. Um, what can we expect going forward? And I'm, I'm actually thinking about this. I mean, either Putin is going to make a demonstrative signal that he is not going anywhere, and then we'll see one of those scenarios we've been talking about Putin remaining, whether it be the Deng Xiaoping national leader, supreme leader scenario, the state council scenario, rewriting the constitution, pulling a page out of Xi Jinping's book um, and getting rid of term limits. Um, or whether it's appointing a, a, a loyal and weak successor and with Putin continuing to rule. He's, if he doesn't make a dramatic gesture to indicate that he's not going anywhere, then we're going to begin to see that succession struggle start, I think, immediately after March 18th. Um, if he does make it, 
then we risk slipping into a period of stagnation if he's not going anywhere ever, right? So I'm, I'm, these, these are the signs I'll be looking for going forward when we, when we start to look beyond Sunday. I mean, it might well be that I'm actually then very, in very short order going to be proved completely wrong. I'm not expecting any kind of meaningful statement one way or the other in the immediate aftermath of the elections. Elections are, by definition, high, periods of heightened tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that either, I mean, whether his, his message is, you know, get used to these kids because I'm going to be here until I'm, I'm carried out in a box, or whether it's the, you know, we're going to start moving towards some kind of transition, um, obviously with, with him still having right. considerable degree of security and power. Either way, that actually would be a further destabilizing um, factor at a time when they're probably worried about others. I mean, you know, as, right. as you mentioned, even in terms of how the opposition might well be responding. Right. So I, I suspect that we're actually going to hear just, you know, banalities mm-hmm. around the election. And then maybe in, and a, you know, whether it's a, a month's time or, or longer, once they, 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 they feel they've managed this particular inconvenience of, uh, you know, the, the pain in the backside that is this ritual mm. fake democracy, then I think we might see some yeah. kind of signals. But yeah, I mean, but on the other hand, it, it, it is a sort of a, an interesting kind of dilemma. Do it too soon, and it might be destabilizing. Mm-hmm. Leave it too long, and precisely, it becomes stagnating. Right, right. And I, I mean, what, I'm, what I've been hearing and reading is that we'll begin to see the real signals start to come out around the time of the 2020 Duma election, or the so-called 2020 Duma election. Yeah, exactly, because let's be perfectly honest, no one cares about those. Right. So there's, there's, there's much less concern about <laughs> right. that. But on the other hand, the Duma elections are always always a kind of a good chance to talk about big picture politics. Right, right, exactly. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. We can't call this an election. But we can certainly call it a, 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 a marker that's moving us into another phase of Russian politics going forward. And that's all we have time for today. I'd like to remind you, you have been listening to the Power Vertical podcast. My name is Brian Whitmore, author of the Power Vertical blog here at RFRL. Joining me on the Skype line from Moscow has been co-host Mark Galliotti, a senior research fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague and author of the forthcoming book, Vordi, Russia's Super Mafia. Thanks for an enlightening and fun discussion, Mark. Good to be here. I'd also like to thank our brilliant, patient, ridiculous, overworked producer Tanya Koncheva and my indispensable co- uh, colleague Pavel Butorin, managing editor of RFRL's Russian-language television program, Current Time, which you can watch at www.currenttime.tv. I'd also like to remind you, you could subscribe to the Power Vertical podcast on iTunes. You could read the Power Vertical blog and watch the Daily Vertical at rfrl.org. And you could follow us on the Twitter at Power Vertical. Join us again next week. And now, as always, I leave you with the ambient sounds of my favorite socially conscious Russian rapper, Noise MC. Power Vertical.